Here we turn on the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast and alongside Eli Fishman. My name is Stephen Cusimano and Eli, right in the heat of the offseason, I guess I could say the cold of the offseason, but I, I guess the good news is we are more than halfway towards opening day. Hard to believe that uh, we're closer to opening day than we are from that championship clinching no-hitter back in late September, but uh, the baseball vibes are not here yet, but they're certainly picking up, and that's a very exciting thing. It is cold. At least there's no snow on the ground, but I think 80 yeah. days away as we record on this Tuesday is the is the official count. We're, we're getting into those dog days of offseason. We are starting to get that itch when you look out at the ball field, um, but it's getting close. Only 80 days. It's going to creep up quick, and it's going to be quite a fun season in Somerset. Fun season in a lot of different ways. We just announced earlier in the month of January, we're getting a brand new scoreboard at TD Bank Ballpark. It's going to be about three and a half times more digital space than the old one. It's going to be very, very exciting to see that in effect. And coming off that fantastic championship winning season in 2022, Eli, you and I just wrapped up a conversation with the Eastern League reliever of the year who finished off that championship clinching no hitter, Carson Coleman. You're going to hear from him later on in this podcast, but First, just want to touch on some housekeeping things. A couple former Patriots that have been added to the Yankees 40-man. You may see them in the Bronx pretty soon. And some others that are getting a change in scenery, moving across uh, to various other big league organizations. Want to start, uh, again, with the championship. We just mentioned the no-hitter finished by Carson Coleman, who we'll hear from in just a bit. But, of course, the first eight innings of that game dominated by Randy Vasquez. Eight hitless innings, six perfect innings. He was rewarded by being added to the Yankees 40-man roster back in, I believe, November alongside former Patriots Johnny Brito and then Matt Crook. So a couple of names that we are very familiar with here in Somerset that Yankee fans are going to be familiar with very soon as well. Indeed, especially looking at Vasquez in the season that he had. Um, the only one of those three spending the entirety of his 2022 season in Somerset and capping it off with quite the exclamation point. But down the stretch, you know, he had a, he had a couple rough starts, but when he bounced back and when Randy Vasquez is on, you know, he's lights out and is going to be lights out in the big leagues and at, at any level that he pitches at, finishing the year with a 3.90 ERA, high K per nine. You know, the, the command improved so much throughout the year. And Randy Vasquez, I always say he's going to be a guy that we're going to see on Pitching Ninja quite a lot. Um, even got a couple appearances during the 2020-22 season um, on Pitching Ninja, getting some retweets from from the man himself, Rob Freeman, uh, as well. So that was cool to see. And great. It's always so rewarding. You know, we we climb through our, the, the minors and try to make our way to the big leagues with these guys. You know, we learn, we develop with these guys. So when you see um, three guys that we spent a lot of time with in Somerset added to the 40-man roster, some guys going to different teams as well, you know, even towards the end of the year last year when we saw some guys making their big league debut, it's definitely a rewarding and special feeling when, you know, you see that tweet from the Yankees that those guys are, you know, officially 40-man roster, officially MLB players. Yeah, it's a very special thing. And you just talk about how good it feels to see a guy like that, uh, in Randy's case specifically, that spent all of the year in Somerset, get added to the 40-man. I think back to July, he had his worst month as a professional pitcher, and things were just not going well. And he rebounded in such a big way. It just felt good to see him, of all people, dominate the way he did on, on September 28th to bring that championship to Somerset. And we're going to see a lot more success stories. I think the number now is that 16. Since the affiliation started in 2021, we have seen 16 former Patriots make their MLB debuts, most of which have been with the Yankees, but not all of them. 16 players, I should say all 16 players were on that 2021 team. But you start thinking about the pipeline, a guy like Ken Waldachuk, who was on both 21 and 22 Patriots teams, got his first big league win against Jacob deGrom last year. Um, you know, not many guys can say that against a future Hall of Famer, but further evidence to show that that was just one season's team. I think you look back on last year 
And you're going to see a lot of former Patriots from that championship winning team breaking into the big leagues very soon. And you start to think about the likes of some guys that even signed big league contracts with new organizations this offseason. Just thinking about all of the outfield depth in the Yankees organization really wasn't much of a place to put Blake Perkins. And so he signed a major league contract with the Milwaukee Brewers. Also, a couple Patriots being traded over there. Elvis Peguero and Jansen Junk both coming over from the Angels in a trade. So you've got three former Patriots in that pipeline now. A guy like Steven Ridings claimed on waivers by the New York Mets, crosstown rival. So he very well may have a shot to make an impact in Queens this year. And then a couple other guys, um, one taken in the Rule 5 draft, Oliver Dunn, who spent all of last year with the Patriots, a couple coffees in uh, Scranton-Wilkes-Barre, but definitely some guys that you think about the depth in the Yankees organization, they may not have had much of an opportunity, but you think about what they have at hand now, and it's going to present some opportunities for them to really make a difference at the big league level this year. Absolutely. It's so exciting. You talk about the depth in the Yankees system. I mean, you look from top to bottom, the, the system is stacked. Uh, and, and obviously, that's a very positive thing. You we, we see the success that every single level of the organization has had over these past two seasons. Um, and it's it's a very special group. But with that, guys are def- definitely going to get snubbed of opportunities, especially looking at the big league level and how many guys are locked up to some big time contracts. So, you know, you talk about how rewarding it is when you see guys make their big league debut, go on to, to better situations. And a lot a lot of these guys are that, that you previously mentioned. They're going to go over to some other teams and have some some real opportunities to get everyday reps at the big league level. I want to touch on a few of the guys you mentioned, but I'll start with Blake Perkins. Not every day do you see a guy who was released after six years with the Royals and Nationals organizations, goes over to the Yankees, has a breakout year, and signs to a major league contract before ever stepping on a major league field, before a season and before spring training. And I know, you know, me, you, and anyone who saw Perk throughout the year last year, that comes as no surprise. I mean, seeing what he did on the few weeks that he went on a couple tears two weeks into the season in Hartford when he was named player of the week. I mean, just from that moment on, you saw that you had something very special in someone from both sides of the plate, someone who can make some insane home run robbing plays, which we saw quite a bit of in right field at TD Bank Ballpark, you know, that that Perkins did. And that was definitely, definitely a, a lot of fun to see. And a little bit of a si- similar situation with Steven Ridings. Uh, got a few big, big league um, innings last year or rather in 2021 um, with the Yankees um, before getting shut down, having some injuries, making a rehab appearance back in Somerset in 2022 as well in that championship season. But kind of similar to Perk, you know, it was after that 2020 season, you know, the the ballpark was at 25% capacity. And then this 6'8 redhead guy who, you know, he definitely stands out. Let's just say that when Stephen Ridings walked out on the field and, he, you know, he was a guy who myself and a lot of people had had absolutely never heard of. And then you see this guy come out pumping 99, 100, 101, and you're like, holy cow. Um, and that's just what's something that's so special about the minors and about Somerset specifically is that you're going to have those guys that you're going to be so close to who are just going to come out. They're going to ball, and eventually they're going to get their big league opportunities. And riding's going across town to the Mets, um, you know, still right by home and still right right in grasp, and he's definitely going to get some big league opportunities and going to be super cool to see, um, as well as a lot of other guys that you mentioned and a lot of guys that either already have or will sign elsewhere. Yeah, fastball like that, as the boys would say, that plays at every level. So it's going to be exciting to see if he can break into that Mets bullpen, which this year, you know, they've, they've got a couple of openings to where there, there may be an opportunity for him to make a difference. And you talk about Blake Perkins. Uh, I think the the word that comes to mind when I think of, of Perk is, is it's, it's tantalizing, his potential, because you look at how hot he was 
when he was hot, there was no better player in the league. I mean, when he went on a tear, you talked about the week in Hartford where he won the Eastern League Player of the Week. Um, when he was hitting home runs, he was hitting multiple of them. And, and it's crazy to think uh, for a guy that almost stopped switch hitting, he almost stopped switch hitting at, during his time with the Royals and Nationals. And lo and behold, things have worked out very well for him. And I hope to see him making plays in uh, the Brewers outfield out there in Milwaukee at some point this year. I want to touch on Oliver Dunn, too, though, because uh, another guy that we got very close with during the 2022 season didn't play a ton. Again, there wasn't just a lot of opportunity, just so many players along this infield and the outfield, for that matter. I think one thing about Ollie was whenever his number was called, he filled in in left field, second base, third base, wherever he was asked, and he flourished, had a dominant offensive season. And I think you, you and I can both agree, one of the most intelligent players and people I've met along my years in baseball and I'm very excited to see what he could do potentially with an expanded opportunity in Philly. Absolutely. A great guy. One of those guys that always, you know, puts a smile on your face when, when you sit down next to him in the dugout and have a, have a pregame chat. Uh, great guy. And was so much fun to see his success last year. As you said, didn't necessarily have a ton, ton of opportunities. Only played in 33 games, even though he was with Somerset for a majority of the season. But he hit 33, 333 in those opportunities and filling in, in a lot of positions, even some he wasn't necessarily familiar with. He's the kind of guy who, who comes to the ballpark and he's fired up for every single opportunity he can get. And every single opportunity he's going to get, he's going to take advantage of it. Going over to the Phillies organization, was it was definitely satisfying when, when you saw his name pop up in the Rule 5 draft knowing he's going to go over and potentially get some opportunities there to hopefully play every single day. And he's one of those guys, you know, we've seen it a lot throughout the Yankees organization the past few years. You look at Jesus Bastidas and the year that he had in 2021, didn't get a ton of reps, especially in Somerset, came up, played very well in the opportunities he got, but, you know, wasn't consistently in the lineup. And Oliver Dunn is the guy, kind of guy, kind of like Bastidas last year. You put him in a, a lineup for the entirety of the season, let him get everyday reps, and he's going to flourish. So it's really exciting to see him and potentially see him in some big-time opportunities. Definitely a guy that broke out in the Yankee system last year, and that work was recognized by the Phillies who took him in the Rule 5 draft. Another guy who was maybe not one of the breakout prospects, but the breakout prospect for the Yankees last year, most saves of any minor leaguer in the Yankees organization, right-handed pitcher Carson Coleman, who was formerly a late-round draft pick of the Rays in 2019 out of Kentucky, opted to go back to school in 2020, which, of course, was the COVID pandemic year. He had a shortened draft, and so Carson ended up signing with the Yankees as an undrafted free agent in 2020. And uh, after a little bit of an underwhelming rookie season in 2021, where he spent all of it in Tampa, coming out of the bullpen, put up a 6-1-1 ERA. Well, he comes out last year, 2022, starts out giving up no runs in his first 18 innings with high A Hudson Valley after dominating during spring training, gets the call up to Somerset in June, and ends up racking up 17 save opportunities, 15 saves for Coleman, a 2.86 ERA with the Patriots, and that is not including the postseason, which he was untouchable in, and finished off the third no-hitter in Somerset Patriots franchise history and a championship-clinching no-hitter at that. So joining us now on the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast, one of the true breakout prospects in all of baseball last year, and we watched him flourish right here in Somerset to the tune of an Eastern League championship-clinching no-hitter. He was also named the Eastern League reliever of the year afterwards. Right-handed pitcher Carson Coleman joins us today. And first and foremost, Carson, thank you so much for taking some time with us. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it, guys. 
I want to start here because uh, I'm sitting in the press box right now, looking out in the field, very same field where uh, we, of course, had the championship. And every time I rewatch that final out, my favorite thing and, and the number one thing I always notice at first is your glove flick. You got that final strikeout to close out the no hitter, and then you just chucked your glove across the field. The moment obviously was surreal, and it's, it's something you'll never forget. But that day overall, from start to finish, from watching the nine run inning to watching Randy just mow through the batting order, and then seemingly out of nowhere, all eyes are on you all of a sudden. Just take me through the reins of emotions uh, from start to finish that day. Well, shoot, obviously, you're hoping to win a championship before, you know, heading home for the offseason because, you know, most of the time that's a quick turnaround. But obviously, shoot, you never expect it to be a no-hitter in the championship game or for your offense to be whooping on another team 15-0. to zero. Is that what it was, 15-0? to 15-0, yeah. yep. Obviously, that gives you some a little bit of comfortability or confidence heading out. Only thing, talking about the glove flip or the glove toss, I don't even remember doing that, honestly. After <laughs> I watched it, I was like, I really don't remember doing that. But I think I was just too pumped up. But coming out was definitely – a little interesting wave of emotions because all I remember is coming out and people booing because Randy didn't come <laughs> back out. And then I remember everyone cheering because Aaron Judge had just hit, was it either 61st or 62nd? I think it was 61. So, and then obviously everyone cheers again. And this is like in the middle of, you know, every other pitch or in the middle of AB. So that was a little, uh, I guess, a weird wave of, of emotions. But, you know, obviously just getting that opportunity to be the guy that closes it out is like a childhood dream. So that was my first time ever winning a championship in my career, high school and anything. So that was, uh, you know, getting to do that, getting to be that guy, especially at the bottom of a dog pile. That was a, that'd be a good memory for a long time. And obviously you're ready to pitch that day, but like you said, no one can predict it's going to be a no hitter, let alone eight by Randy. At what point did you realize that you were going to have the ninth inning? Um, you know, I, I don't think I really knew until you know, the half inning before, but I knew I was tossing a little bit because obviously, you know, pitch count and the health of Randy is, you know, that's a very important. So that was something that I knew would maybe be in discussion later in the game, depending on how things are going. And obviously if he was to give up a hit, you know, and the no hitter goes away, I'm sure that would probably would have changed up some things too. So probably like around that seventh or eighth, I was definitely playing catch or being aware and, you know, Casa let me know too. And then obviously, and so that half inning, knowing that you're actually going to be the guy that gets to go in, you know, that was a, I didn't know until that moment. Cause really at that point I'm rooting for Randy, you know, I want Randy to go out there. I want him to get a, you know, hopefully finish it all out himself. I wanted the ball for sure. But at the same time, you know, self selflessly, I wanted Randy to finish that out because, you know, you know, the guy shoves for eight innings and is striking guys out left and right has a no hitter in a championship game. You know, that's, you know, that's his story. I'm just kind of happy I got to share that that story with him, I guess you could say. So, you know, but obviously I was just happy that I was able to finish it out that way. I wasn't going out there, you know, thinking, oh, crap, don't give up a hit. But, you know, I was just going out there doing my same old thing and I'm happy it worked out. From a team perspective, taking it back to this season in its entirety, you know, 142 games, that's a long season. But that was the team last year that they brought the juice. You guys brought the fire every single day even when you know you guys do face adversity you face roster moves guys going up and down that team never lost the fire you know why was that team so successful throughout the entirety of the year from opening day to the playoffs and eventually that championship game you're definitely right but i think uh probably the chemistry of the guys is probably the biggest thing i think we're uh, that whole team was you know as close as can be we all loved each other definitely loved playing ball with each other too and i think when we knew that you know when you have some some dogs on that team and you whether it's positional on the pitcher side, all of it, you know, really didn't miss on that whole roster. So I think when you got a team like that, and 
even, you know, obviously when I joined four or five weeks in, whichever it was when I came first came to Somerset and you kind of come into that environment, like chemistry of guys, and you got guys like Elijah and Max. It was, I remember when I first came in, they always talk about how we don't lose series. Like even if we lost the first two or one time we lost the first three against Portland, every time in the clubhouse, they always just said, we don't lose series. And we'd always come back and win. Now I know, I think we lost technically one or two. But saying that you lost two series in an entire season of double-A baseball, I'd, I'd say that's, you know, pretty damn good. So, you know, we just didn't, you know, they were just guys that wanted to win. We all wanted to win. And we, even if we were getting beat halfway through the game or even late in the game, I think all of us kind of knew that we were just one inning or one guy away from beating them and coming back. Obviously, we had our fair share of fun walk-offs this year. So that was just kind of the mentality, I think, behind everyone. I want to touch on your breakout year. I mean, a 2-1-3 ERA, reliever of the year, 13-50 K per nine. You know, in general, when you reflect on last season, what was the biggest key to that breakout year for you? You know, I think there's one, maybe, I guess you could say, quote in my head. I remember watching a, uh, some podcast, I think, with Adam Ottavino and Eric Cressy. And basically one thing that he was talking about, he was doing this last year, which Ottavino also had a really good season this last year, was basically just taking his chances with the hitter. And yeah, I think that maybe came having another year with the Yankees. I think it came with just being comfortable, you know, starting to get some confidence in yourself and just kind of realizing that you belong. That was my biggest thing is I just, I didn't want to walk guys. You know, if there was anything I was going to get beat, I wanted to get beat. So I just wanted to be in the zone. And I think just by doing so, you know, I think the obviously strikeout numbers went up, walks went down. And I think if you're doing either of those, you're obviously going to have some pretty good success. So, you know, I kind of just started with that. And then obviously once the, confidence and comfortability came along obviously with that game plan I think it was just kind of just kind of natural at that point you know obviously you knew you could do it so I was just going out there and competing I want to peel it back to because uh one thing not a lot of people know is that you went to the same high school as Yankees general manager Brian Cashman in a Lexington Catholic I want to first ask when did you first become aware of that and after you had actually signed with the Yankees when did you actually really appreciate that <laughs> I don't I think I I remember, uh, like, while I was at Catholic, I remember, like, you know, obviously hearing of Brian Cashman. Obviously, I wasn't, like, a Yankees fan at that time or anything like that. And I knew of him. I never really gave it, you know, too much secondary thought. But I remember back when I signed, that was, like, something that immediately came back to me. And obviously, you got, uh, you know, family, friends kind of saying, like, hey, you know, you went to the same high school as Brian Cashman. I'm like, yeah, I do. But, I mean, it's definitely a cool thing. You know, I appreciate that. It's definitely cool knowing um uh, you know, other than the guy like Trey Sweeney, you know, that I guess, you know, when you're a hometown Kentucky boy, you know, it's kind of you appreciate your Kentucky guy. So having guys like Trey and then, you know, I guess Brian Cashman, obviously, you know, it's not like we talk all the time or anything like that. But, you know, it's just a cool thing to, to kind of have. And you weren't always a pitcher going back to your early days in high school, right? You were a middle infielder and, and you didn't transition to pitching until you were an upperclassman, right? Yeah. So. You know, I was going to play at Cincinnati as a, you know, a middle infielder, really. And then, uh, you know, pitching was something that came along late. I was just always the guy that, you know, I threw really hard across the infield. I had some, you know, good movement to, I guess you could say, a fastball if you're throwing across the infield. But it was just kind of one of those things where, you know, my pitching coach, he used to play at Kentucky. He was like, you know, you should give pitching a try. And then all of a sudden I give pitching a try. And it was like I got the attention of all the big time schools, as soon as like literally, I think one of the first times I ever pitched, I got like professional attention just because there happened to be a twins cross checker there. Had no idea. But obviously, you know, when stuff like that happens, like right off the bat, just off of pitching one time, it wasn't I don't even think it was like I pitched great or something like that. I think it was just a 
you know, as part of the scouting scouting world, you kind of see, I guess you could potential or future in a guy when you watch him like that. But as soon as I kind of saw, you know, maybe pitching was a route where I had a really big future baseball wise, whether it was going to be, you know, college or professional, I guess I just kind of stuck with the pitching side. Some things changed coaching wise at Kentucky and uh, Cincinnati. Some things were being moved around at Cincinnati, Kentucky had just gotten a new coach and it just kind of, and there was like 13 pitchers on the roster at Kentucky. And if you want to talk about, you know, probably having some opportunities to pitch right away. That was an appealing thing for me to want to go to Kentucky too. So that was just kind of how it worked out. It was definitely a hard decision. I don't think I would have been a very good hitter in college. I think I probably would have got my ass kicked, to be honest. But but I'm, you know, I'm happy I chose pitching. I'm happy it's brought me to where I am now. How old were you when when that happened, when you, you know, first took the bump and kind of realized, hey, um, you know, I've got a shot at this and I've got a shot to take it pretty far? I mean, it was really, it was like late my senior year. So I, you know, I'm trying to think. I don't even know if I was 17 or 18 at that time. I guess maybe, I don't know how old you usually are as a senior in high school, but, you know, it was when I was 17 or 18, just before going to college, really, to where I kind of saw that, you know, that maybe that was a, maybe that was a future. And it's funny hearing you talk about choosing between Cincinnati and Kentucky, because you were in that rare group of players that you went back to school in 2020. And then, of course, with the shortened draft, you had to choose which team to sign with after that. And I've talked to some guys where it was a pretty easy decision. They wanted to go to a certain team or it was a pretty easy decision to go back to school. What factored into you choosing to sign with the Yankees over a different organization? So I think kind of like how you said, sometimes it's an easy decision for me being realistic with myself and, you know, kind of seeing like what was maybe uh, the best path to lay out for myself for a guy who, you know, in college through two full seasons as a pitcher, which is basically still the only two that I had before going into pro ball. You know, when it came to an organization like the Yankees, who had a great track record of developing pitchers and guys who were going to buy into that big time instead of you just being thrown into a farm system and basically, you know, just hoping you fly. You know, I think it was pretty, pretty easy for me to pick the Yankees when it came to that. And um, obviously the development and things that I've learned and everything that I've got gained and got from being in the Yankees organization since has been, you know, night and day. So I'm, you know, I'm happy about that decision. And from what I hear, you know, when I talk to a lot of my other pro buddies, you know, whether I could go back and do it differently, I probably I would still say I did the did the right choice. When you started that process, did you think, um, you know, I'll see what teams talk to me, I, I'll see how these recruiting meetings go, and potentially, you know, see how who offers me all that, or did you go into it, you know, with with the Yankees specifically on your mind? Truthfully, I didn't. I I don't, I don't think I gave it too much thought because, um, you know, being a just a still a young college athlete, you don't really necessarily know. I guess the reality of some organizations. I mean, obviously you probably have some idea of how they treat them. And obviously you probably only can kind of scratch the surface on that to your general knowledge as a college athlete. But um, I'd be lying if I said once the Yankees were, you know, one of those teams that had called me and we had a, you know, great, great conversation, stuff like that. I think it was pretty hard not to sit there after the phone call and be like, the Yankees just called me. That's pretty cool. And then, then especially when you continue the talks and they genuinely show interest and you know and they're saying that they're one of you know you're one of your top guys that they want to be able to sign obviously like you had said the pandemic year was something that no one plans on but but yeah that was a i'd be lying if the yankees name as its whole just didn't have its uh you know effect on me wanting to go there when you were drafted in 2019 by the Rays, did you strongly consider signing or was it a pretty easy decision for you to go back to school i i really wanted to sign um i went into that draft i knew i was probably going to get drafted 
uh, it was kind of one of those plans where, you know, obviously financially it's a big side of it, but, you know, you kind of put a number in your head, you know, maybe if that number happens then let's sign it definitely, because obviously, you know, financially that's a big thing that can help you for, you know, the next coming years of your life. But unless it was basically certain organizations or kind of happening to a certain, I guess you could say round range. Like I think it was, you know, if I get picked up before the 15th, which I definitely had some opportunities to probably do so, but um, it was basically, if not, let's plan on going back to school. You know, I'm a guy that has, you know, just finished up his second full year of college ball and, you know, just kind of scratching the surface. So I think it was kind of one of those things where, you know, one more year is not going to hurt. Plus I was going to get the chance to get my degrees, stuff like that. So that was kind of the plan going in. I definitely wanted to, because I was excited about the thought of getting to play professional baseball, but you know, at the same time, it was a game plan. I stuck to it and I, you know, I committed to it. Obviously, no one ever plans on a pandemic happening the next year to where that changes so many things. But, you know, I can't do anything about that. <laughs> but, you know, I'm happy how things have worked out anyways. Let's fast forward to uh, to the present time. Take me through a off-season day in the life of Carson Coleman. What, do you, what have you been up to? Oh, you know, it doesn't really stop. Probably took like 10. I think I took uh, like a week and a half off after literally driving home from New Jersey and then basically got right back into it. I didn't want to even take much time throwing or lifting, especially that was just kind of something that kept going. And honestly, since that day, it's kind of a six day routine through a week. I I get up in the morning. Uh, Matt Minnick is uh, usually around with me up in uh, when I'm up in Indiana. So me and Minnick have been throwing together every day. You know, we kind of get our bullpen schedule once those got, got back going about a month and a half ago. And, you know, it's just the same that's baseball life, man. It's same thing, different day. So, you know, you just wake up, go throw, get a lift in. If you got a lift that day, do some recovery and then kind of go back into it. Some nights uh, here in uh, Indiana or if it's Lexington, I'll do uh, I'll do like some baseball clinics or kind of do some lessons, kind of make some money on the side, do stuff like that. But, man, that's really it. I mean, it's a quick turnaround. You enjoy yourself. You get to be with family. Uh, but those three, four months fly by before you're going back to spring training. Like, I feel like it was... <laughs> like a month ago when I finished the, the championship game. I mean, it doesn't feel long ago at all. So, you know, I get right back into it. And spending some time in Indiana, you're probably itching to get down to Tampa right about now. Uh, what is that whole situation like? When are you headed back down there? And, and what's the situation like for you? Um, so I'll, I should be heading down in about two weeks. Uh, so basically, you know, kind of the getting ready to be down there just before the beginning of February uh, to where uh, I guess you could say pre-spring training starts, hopefully get build up and get some opportunities to be in some big league games, whether you get a big league invite or not. And, you know, obviously just hoping for some of those opportunities to prove myself. And then if not, you know, February and March, you know, having two months, it's, you know, it's a lot of time you can still develop and kind of get, you know, get your feet underneath you before going into the season. So, you know, it's all stuff I'm excited for. And I love, I love spring training. So I'm excited to get down there. I'm itching to go down now. I'm going to get in the car and go ahead and head down. I don't even want to wait two more weeks, but but, you know, it'll come soon enough and I'll be down there and get it going. Looking forward, do you have some goals for the for the 2023 season? I'm, I'm trying to take what, you know, what was good from this last year. And obviously I want to be repeatable of that. You know, obviously the fastball stuff and, you know, when it came to throwing strikes, that was a big part for me. So, you know, hopefully continuing that and then obviously kind of add to that bread and butter fastball and add some pitches like the slider and change up and keep refining those and hopefully get another plus pitch in there to where, you know, you can really get after some hitters and make them uncomfortable. But those are the goals, um, you know, just consistency, you know, just kind of continue where I left off. And, you know, hopefully that game plan 
continues and if adjustments need to be made, you know, that's, that's what baseball is. So, you know, I'll make those adjustments if needed. You, obviously in spring training, you got the inner squads, you know, you get to face a lot of your teammates a lot. What one teammate are you looking forward to, to facing off with the most? Oh, geez. You know, I, I, I like going for the big bucks. So, I mean, any of those guys, whether it's, I'm sure Volpe and Wells will probably be over at big league camp, stuff like that. But, you know, if I get a chance to face those guys or any big leaguers, I mean, seriously, like, I hope I get a chance to go do a live AB live ABs against any of the big league guys. Like I, I'm all for that. I want, <laughs> I, I want, I want to face literally the hardest guys possible. That's usually how I am. Whether it's literally, I, I would love to face Judge Stan. I'd love to face any of those guys. And then what if not? You know, guys like, you know, Trey Sweeney, Wells, Volpe, any of those kind of guys that hopefully I get to face them. You know, I'm always, you know, those, those are, that's fun. You know. No one that talks a lot of crap. You think you want to, you know, prove yourself against? <laughs> no, I think we, uh, I think we all have our fair share of uh, respect for each other. But I'm sure there's, there's definitely, there'll definitely be some, uh, some, some smack talk here and there. But you know, I try to be humble when I can. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully the other guys, if they are to, you know, whoop on me too, hopefully they'll be humble. So I look, I look forward to all those kind of competitions. I'm, you know, that's the fun part about baseball. Well, it's probably not easy to be humble when you're the reliever of the year. You finished a no hitter in the championship game. And, and but I think if there's anyone prepared to make 2023 even better, it's you. So thank you so much for joining us, Carson. And uh, looking forward to seeing you down there in spring training. No, I appreciate it, guys. Appreciate the time. Really great guy. And really, to be honest with you, Eli, talking with him just gets me excited for baseball. Again, we're in the middle of January right now as we record this. But hearing his excitement to drive down to Tampa, he wants to get down there now all of the momentum that he will be able to build off of in 2023. Just a great guy to talk to and, and wish him nothing but the best. For sure. I wish I could drive down there to Tampa with him and, and get ready. <laughs> Cause that, that definitely fired me up too, listening yeah. to him talk about his excitement, his season last year and his career in general. I mean, you talk about a guy that was a late round pick by the Rays in 2019, very, very tough situation and a tough decision for him opts to go back to school. And then who could have imagined that you're 13 innings into your what looks like to be your final season and final opportunity to get that draft pick um, number going up and potentially moving up some rounds and 13 innings in a, a pandemic happens. You can't imagine that. And then the decision, do you sign, do you go back to school, having to go through all that again? And I think, you know, Carson said, if he could go back, he wouldn't have changed absolutely anything. And everything has worked out quite, quite well looking at the season, especially he had last year. Um, and, you know, talking about the way he kind of broke out, he came in, he fit, he, he was confident that, that gets me thinking, you know, who are going to be our breakout prospects this year? Who are going to be our Carson Coleman's this year. Um, it was it was so special seeing him, especially you mentioned you know that his numbers in Tampa in 2021 definitely make you raise an eyebrow a little bit, and then he completely completely flipped them in 2022, turning into one of the best relievers not only in the Yankee system but all of minor league baseball. And you know, as I said, hearing him talk about his career, how excited he is to get down there, fires me up, and especially about who our Carson Coleman's of 2023 are going to be. It's fun thing to, to think about because it really does come out of nowhere every year. You look at those numbers and you see a guy that very well could be in the Yankees bullpen by the end of 2023, especially at the trajectory that he was on. Also just fun reminiscing back on that night. You know, it's crazy to think, I mentioned at the top of this episode, we're closer to opening day 2023 than we are from that crazy. championship winning game. Crazy to think about, but just hearing the rush of emotions that it was his first time ever winning a championship how it felt for him to be at the bottom of that dog pile after the game. Didn't even remember flicking the glove that was so memorable and apparent when you're watching back the highlight. Just really fun. And it makes you think about 
the season's worth of memories in 2022 that were made not just in the championship, but all along the way. And talking about the clubhouse chemistry and the culture, hearing Max Burt and Elijah Dunham say, we don't lose series. And that's something that we came to learn very quickly last year. And uh, every team and every year is very different and just makes you all the more excited to see what is in store for 2023. You could write a book on last year's Patriots team. <laughs> absolutely. And all the excitement, um, I mean, especially the players that were on that team. Um, as Carson mentioned, you look at you look at Wells, you look at Volpe, you look at Dunham. Um, in addition to Carson, Randy, Randy Vasquez, Will Warren, Clayton Beater. Waldachuk starting the year, Brito starting the year. You're going to look back on that team in a couple of years. And I know we mentioned, you know, at the, at the top of the episode as well about the the sheer number of guys from both last year's and the 2021 team that are currently in the big leagues and are going to be in the big leagues this year. I think we're going to look back in a few years and look at this this Patriots team from 2022 in the regular season and the postseason and say, wow, that is a special, special group with a, a lot of um, a lot of luggage that they come with um, and, and some very, very shiny luggage potentially in the future uh, with that group. And a lot of those guys are going to be back in 2023, especially from that roster that finished the year in 2022. So it's definitely, definitely super exciting to see. And just the way Carson talked about that team, as, as you said, it's, it's definitely got you, got you reminiscent. I wish I could read that book about the 2022 Patriots. Yeah, that was actually the next thing I was going to touch on that you got to a couple of seconds ago was it's easy to think that after such a dominant year, 30 wins over 500, best ERA in all of AA, a top bullpen, a franchise breaking home run record. It's easy to think that, you know, we can't expect more of the same in 2022. And, and I think it would be premature to, to get our hopes up to that level. But you just think about that roster and the, the construction of it on the final day of the season. And you may very well see some of those very same names in Somerset this year. Jason Dominguez, who absolutely dominated in the championship series with 10 RBIs in a span of three games there. Uh, you think about Trey Sweeney, who was extremely excited to watch up the middle last year, developing chemistry with Tyler Hardman, a couple of those other exciting players that came up from Hudson Valley towards the end of the year. And you just think about even some of the pitching prospects that could potentially start the year here in Somerset. It is very exciting to think about the fact that there could be more of the same in store this year. And oh, by the way, that new scoreboard, all the new improvements being made to the ballpark, it's going to be a, a very fun year at TD Bank Ballpark in 2023. Indeed, a lot to look forward to. I'm very excited for that scoreboard. I know we're going to we're gonna bring some ex, extra fire content to that board as well to fire, oh. up, fire up the ballpark. Um, and we're, we're super excited for that. But, you know, looking at down at Hudson Valley, I mean, they were a team that were they were also – Top five in strikeouts, ERA, stolen bases, and home runs um, in the South Atlantic League. And they're going to be bringing a lot of those guys up to double A at some point. And even going down two levels to Tampa, another team that led the Florida State League in a lot of categories. Uh, they lost in the championship to Bradenton, but they made it to the championship. They made it to the final game of the Florida State League championship. They didn't get there, but a lot of those guys who made it to the final game of the championship series are going to be hungry to potentially get a ring that they didn't get in 2022. So a lot of great talent from potentially Tampa as well as Hudson Valley. I mean, we may even see some guys who were in the Florida Coast League team um, this or Florida Complex League team this past season that won the championship down there, making it up to Somerset at some point in 2023. There's a, a lot of guys throughout this entire organization. I mean, it feels like we, we talk about it all the time as like a broken record. This organization is stacked and we see it with obviously, you know, a, a lot of teams making it to the three teams making it to the championship, two of them winning it in the Yankee system. Second in all of baseball as an organization in wins and winning percentages. The Yankees led all organizations in home runs runs, 
stolen bases, ERA, and I think they were top five in strikeouts. I mean, you hear those numbers. That gets you fired up about the depth and the excitement of so many young players. Well, it's crazy to think, Eli. Less than a month from as we sit right now, pitchers and catchers are going to be reporting to Tampa. Position players not far behind. Baseball is officially, in my books, we turn the page to 2023. Baseball is in the air. Keep it tuned to Somerset Patriots social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and everywhere in between. Uh, We're going to have some great content being posted up, announcing the coaching staff relatively soon, players once we have that as well, and content will be ramping up as we get even closer to the season. Stay tuned. A lot, a lot coming this season, a lot coming as we get to the season. Don't forget TikTok as well, because the TikTok, it's going to be popping this year. Let's just say that. TikTok will be popping. And oh, by the way, the broadcast booth, we're going to have you in uh, quite more often than we did last year. I think we, we should probably touch on that before we go. Last year, you were just interning here at the Patriots, a broadcast assistant. This upcoming season, an expanded role, you're going to be on the call for all of our home games this year, some road games as well. It's going to be a very exciting season. I'm excited to spend more of that time with you in the booth as well. Yeah, super excited to get in there with you. We we made some great memories in there last year. But, you know, you, you talk about that, that working your way up to the big leagues, developing, you know, perfecting your craft. So getting, getting into the booth with you this year, super excited. And, you know, we're going to have some fun times on those broadcasts. So I suggest you tune into those as well. Absolutely. It's going to be a great time. In the meanwhile, keep it tuned to Somerset Patriots social media once again. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you to Carson Coleman for being generous enough to spend some time with us. That is all from here on the Patriots and Pinstripes podcast, and we will see you all next time.